If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Todd Dexheimer. He is the principal over at Endurist Capital. Todd, uh, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, glad you joined us. Yeah, absolutely, Sterling. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me, man. Excited to get going. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory, how you got into real estate, what you were doing before that, and, and kind of what you're up to today? Absolutely. So, uh, man... Before real estate, I was a I was a high school teacher, so I was nice. teaching. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was teaching like uh, wood technology and and uh, metals and welding and I don't uh, know, architecture and stuff like that. I don't know why, but of all of the like uh, profession transitions to real estate investor, I always love the teacher the most, and I think it's just because like you you historically think of like teachers as being so underpaid and i just love the like rags to riches story of i was a teacher making 40 grand a year and now i'm a multimillionaire because i transitioned into apartment complexes with no additional you know formal education i just love that story i only wish i was making forty thousand dollars a year i I was (laughs) I was making like 30, I think when I, my last year, I was either making 30, 32, something like that. Oh, wow. Um, And so I was actually, you know, look, I mean, as a teacher, you're taught to follow the line, you know, like most of you twos, right? You you gotta, you just, you're not thinking outside of the box, but as a industrial tech teacher, I was always thinking outside of the box. And so I was always trying to turn my change my classes and come up with new ideas and all that kind of stuff but I was always shot down uh because status quo was just good enough and and I, you know like looking back it's like I was I was an entrepreneur then um I was always wanting to improve make things better like just the status quo just wasn't good enough for me and and that really honestly was part of the reason why I was like this just isn't for me like I can't I can't be a part of this old antiquated system that like nobody wants to improve uh they all talk about improving but nobody wants to nobody really wants to so uh so anyways uh, you know through reading a lot of books and and just um just a lot of thinking i i got into to real estate i i knew something i something had to change and i thought about going back to school and you know becoming an architect or whatever and it just was like that that's just I don't want to go back to school. And so I ended up kind of really honestly just stumbling into real estate through through books and uh, got the bug and started buying properties in 2008. Started buying just single families, just one, one to four family properties and bought a bunch of those, you know, ran out of money and start, had to start flipping. Um, and so finally in 2010, I convinced my wife to uh, to quit my job. Actually, we went to church and uh, listen to the pastor. I kept on asking my wife to quit my job, quit my job, quit my job. She's like, no, 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 I can't, 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 can't. You told me, you know, more years or whatever. So we go to church and the, the pastor, I can't remember exactly what he said. Um, but, you know, basically like following, 
following your dreams type of thing. And we get down with church and we're both completely silent. We would drive, we get to the first stoplight and my wife looks over to me and she said, you can quit your job. Just show nice. me, show me, been- show me the, yeah, show, show me the money. So I'm like, okay, perfect. You know, so I showed her, you know, we had five rentals at the time and it's like, Hey, this adds up to like $30,000. I'm making 32 at my, you know, job. Yeah. I'm not paying taxes on this 30 thousand dollars in, in rentals because we got depreciation so you know uh, nat we're making way more plus i'm doing a couple of flips here and there and you know so we got plenty of money and uh and that's so that's that was the snowball and that's really just really started there uh i guess it kind of already already had started but really started rolling fast um ended up flipping about 100 houses buying about i having about 100 also one to four families uh, rental units and then uh, transitioned over to multifamily. And so now I'm doing, I went from mid, mid multifamily, mid size, like 20, 10, 20, 30 unit buildings to uh, now we're doing 100 plus unit multifamily, doing syndication, uh, value add, you know, um, syndication and kind of mostly, mostly in the mid, Midwest, mid South. So we're in Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. Awesome. So there's a lot of things about your story that I resonate with and, and uh, love to hear. One thing that you said early on is about like why you decided to leave your job. And it was about how uh, the systems were antiquated and nobody really wanted to improve it. So I feel that so much in corporate life. What made me want to quit, because, you know, in in corporate America, I was very successful and I was very well compensated. But there there was these things, these problems that would arise. And I'm like, that's a terribly inefficient, broken system. Like we're pissing off customers, we're pissing off employees, like like that could easily be fixed and become way more efficient. And the answer was just always no. And and, and, it, and what it does is it like it encroaches on your soul and you're like, I just can't, I can't be in this environment where there's all this broken shit that nobody wants to fix. You know what I mean? Now, like in my business, we see a problem and like we're all over it. Like what, what can we do to fix the problem and being being stuck in those institutions, those, you know, education or, or large businesses in corporate America, where there's just, they don't have that spirit for constant improvement and growth and efficiency. Yeah. It just, it just drove me nuts. Yeah. It, it, um, I don't, I I just, I don't understand it. They don't have the time for it. It takes, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of people. And and once you have a larger company, I mean, in in a school, especially, I mean, you've got all these teachers and you got to get people on board. It's just like, and then you get one person that's stuck in that line that says, nah, let's, let's keep it the same. And all of a sudden everything, the wheels fall off. Right. No. Yeah. Now, now that great idea that people were starting to get on board with want to change. And all of a sudden this one person is negative, poo-poo's it, and then boom, everything falls apart and you're back yeah. to ground zero. So uh, th- that's how it always was in, in teaching and just kind of drove me nuts. Um, yeah, so, the, the system was crazy. So once you once you started um, buying rental properties, you said you ran out of money and had to start flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did the same thing. A lot of people start flipping. I, I bought my hoard. I, I bought, you know, 75 rentals before I ever flipped a house. But like you said, because I ran out of money. You also mentioned that the the cash flow off of the five houses that you had um, came out to $30,000 a year. Now, looking back, 
did it, did you really make $30,000 a year on this? I mean, if you bought them in 2008, you very well might have, but like, I just know that like I forecasted cash flow from single family rentals. Yeah. And then, and then it go back and I'm like, well, that didn't, that didn't work out the way I planned. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if you take that, those, those properties and take the cash flow, average them throughout the years, probably not, probably not because I'll, you know, yeah. Did, did they make that when I said it, you know, in 2010? Yeah. They were making that and they made it, you know, the year before and probably the year or two after. But then all of a sudden you got a tenant that doesn't pay rent and, you know, that eats your cash flow up. You got a roof you got to replace. You know, two, I'm thinking of those properties and um, two of those properties I've had to replace roofs. One of them I sold. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple, one of them I just, I just put like a $20,000 renovation into, you know, so, you know, it's just like, yeah, they, they make. Sure. Certainly you combine them, they make 30 grand a year, some years, yeah. other years, they make uh negative $10,000 because I stuck a bunch of money into them. And, you know, so if you average it out, maybe it's, maybe it's 15 to 20, but yeah, those, those ones are good. Cause I bought them at a really good time uh, and I haven't leveraged them. You know, some of the other ones I would refinance and re-leverage those ones I never did. So they've got very little debt on them. Um, and so they're, they're, really solid cash flow. Awesome. Now but they're a lot more work. I mean, it just is like, yeah, you're buying single families and duplexes. They're just a lot more work. So, um, when you transitioned to multifamily, what do you mean by transition? Did you start working on multifamily in addition to what you were doing or did you just sell all your rentals, quit flipping houses and go all in and multifamily? And I quit flipping houses. I quit. I quit buying one to four families, and I went all in. But I did not sell all my one to four families, so I kept them. And quite frankly, still to this day, I have quite a few of them. Um, yeah. I've just kind of been selling them here and there. So yeah, you know, I think I sold four or five last year. I'll probably do the same this year. Um, and that's kind of been the trend. You know, I'll sell four to five every single year. And I'll probably do that until I'm I'm done with them. I think I've got like 20 left, 20, 25 nice. left. Um, and so I'll just, and when I get sick, honestly, it's it's when I get sick of them. Like, yeah. I don't know, a, a tenant leaves and they leave a mess and I'm like, just I don't want to do off. this again. Yeah. Like, ah, it's just all this stupid thing. You know, a property management will come to me and they'll have this like repair bill and it's like, screw it, sell it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that one's on the chopping block. Get rid of it. I don't want to deal with it. You know, it, honestly, and that's what it is. Like if we, if we get a resident that puts a lot of damages on it, maybe I got to put like five, six grand into it. I'm like, hey, why don't we let's put let's put ten or fifteen in, into it and make it a little bit nicer, and then let's sell it. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So with the larger multifamilies. Um, tell me about kind of how that, how that started and how it evolved. When did you start buying the above the flexes? Yeah. So, um, I, I bought, uh, started buying like 20 unit buildings and 10 unit buildings and things like that. Um, honestly, so that was back in like 2015 and it was just, I was just like, 
I'm, I'm, I'm burned out. Like I can't be doing these flips anymore. The margins were getting tighter. Uh, the margins on the one to four families were getting tighter. And I'm like, I can't, I can't just keep doing these. I'm not going to grow and get to where I wanted to be. I, I wanted to get a thousand units. That was my goal. Like I got, I want to get a thousand units. I'm stuck at like not just under a hundred. I was at like 94 or something like that. I mean, whatever the number was. Um, but I'm like, I I'm just like, it's going to take me forever to get there. I got to do something different. So I'm, I start buying these, you know, 10, 20 unit buildings. Um, I bought my, the very first one, it was a 22 unit building. And I bought it contract for deed. Uh, from this guy. And this is in 2015. Um, and and uh, I actually had another contract. I was going to buy it with bank financing and and uh, walk through this property. I'm like, dude, this is a freaking disaster. You've got nine out of the 22 units occupied. You know, there's a bunch of work to do. I still want to buy your property, but here's the deal. I I want to, con- I need a contract for deal. I'll give you a 10% down payment. This is what it looks like. Uh, and by the way, if we do this contract for Dean, I need need to reduce the purchase price, um, you know, down to down to four thirty five. I think I reduced it by like ten fifteen grand. And he said, "Okay." Right. I'm like, "Perfect." Well, here's what I did: I showed him what he was going to get on a monthly payment, and I realized that this guy. I had a great conversation with him when I walked into the due diligence. I had a great conversation with the this guy. And understood that what he was trying to do is retire, move to Florida, and spend more time with his grandkids. But he still liked the idea of cash flow, passive income. So I'm like, okay, let's create passive income for you. So this is what I'm going to do. Here's what it looks like. And uh, and we struck a deal. So paid him 5% interest, gave him a 10% down payment, you know, and, and off to the races. And so that, that was a slick deal. I partnered with... Uh, um, an investor of mine, and we uh, we did the deal together. Uh, second deal I did, I did something very similar. It was uh, we did a, I gave that guy a five percent down payment uh, contract for deed. He wanted more, so I said, "Here, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to renovate this unit or this building. I'm, we're going to do a bunch of renovations. We're sticking whatever it was, two hundred fifty thousand dollars into this building, um, and so I, I can't give you more money." But I'm going to spend that money. So what we'll do is we'll put that money into an escrow account. And that escrow account will be controlled by my attorney. And as I complete construction, we'll release funds out of that escrow account. But if I default, you can have that $250,000. So he's like, oh, that makes sense. Let's do that. So I gave him a 5% down payment, cash, right in hand, right? And the $250,000, that was my renovation. I went into an escrow account, basically held by my attorney. And we did draws on it. And Boom, that was done. So nice. allowed me to get in for a lot less money. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny. I love hearing these these um, creative finance structure type deals. And it's always uh, like an evolution from basically asking the seller like what they want. And that's, that's a yes. message I've been trying to communicate to my team because they'll come in and they'll say, well, and it drives me nuts working with realtors because then you've got you know, you got two degrees of separation. You can't sit down with them and say like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Like what, what's the optimal situation for you? Because like you said, your guy, you probably solved a lot of his problems because you asked him like what he wanted. Well, he wanted to go retire in Florida and get monthly cash for it. He also probably didn't want to get hit with a huge um, tax liability, like at sale. So I've had, you know, I've had sellers 
a lot of times buyers are hesitant to bring up those kind of out to a ask like what the seller wants, you know, what they really want, and then b assuming that they wouldn't be willing to do it. So half of my rental portfolio was seller financed to me by somebody that it was their idea because they had been you know collecting and ten thirty wanting all these assets for forty years, and they mm-hmm. didn't want to to take a huge huge tax hit. So they're like, you know, just just give me ten percent. Like like you said, half of the portfolio I did ten percent, the other half I did five percent, and pay me. You know, some of them are at at five and a half, some of them are at six percent, and you know he's happy. And and in fact, I called him the other day. Yeah, I called him the other day to tell him I was going to sell one of his buildings, and he was pissed off. He's like, "What? What am I going to do with that money now?" You know, so like, so that that like it it truly wasn't his best interest. And I think if if you know new investors would approach not just assuming we used to call it selling out of our own pocket, not assuming that they need all the cash because we would want all the cash. They might have a completely different scenario. Um, yeah, exactly. Let them know I've got a uh, syndication deal he can invest in, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, and by the way, I've done it several times with brokers involved and you just have to be, here's the, the biggest thing with the broker involved is you have to get meetings set up with the seller. And some brokers will really push back on that, but it's not about asking. It's about communicating, right? I don't, I don't ask to set up a meeting with the seller. I tell the broker we're going to set up a meeting with the seller. Like, and I don't ask if the seller will take seller financing or do any seller financing. I tell the broker we're going to offer seller financing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't ask. I, I present opportunities. I yeah. communicate and it's, it's totally different. When you start to ask, is it okay? It's easy for them to say, well, no. But when you say, look, here's what I want to do. We're going to, you know, we're going to do this type of seller financing, blah, blah, blah. Here are the terms. And I need to set up, a, I need you to set up a meeting with the seller. Let's, let's do Monday at, at 10 a.m. Nice. That That's a totally different conversation than, hey, do you think the seller would be willing to, you know, maybe do some <laughs> contract for yeah. deed or something like, can you ask them that? And no, it's totally different. Like you're telling the broker exactly what you're going to do and you set up a meeting. And, and if you know the broker is going to have, uh, going to fight it from the beginning, if you know it before you even present it, then you say, Hey, I'm ready to present an offer on this property but I want to talk with the seller first. Let's set up a meeting on Monday at 10 a.m. and we'll walk through the offer. I'll present it to me now. No, I think it's best for me to present it directly to the seller with you involved in the on the phone call. That's it. A lot of sellers don't want to do it, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. you don't know until you ask. And you'll be surprised at how many are open and receptive to the idea. As sellers, sometimes like we just negotiated a deal with the buyer, and um, that was a requirement. We wanted to jump on the phone with them, and we got them to do a lot more than what I would have expected them to do by jumping on the phone with them and having a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, on these larger deals that you're doing today, the hundred mm-hmm. plus units, um, 
tell us a little bit more about that. Where are you finding them? How are you finding them? How are you funding them? What does that whole thing look like? Yeah. Uh, so a vast majority of the deals we're finding through through brokers. And when you're talking bigger deals, um, the brokers are are hogging the deal. So they've got the relationship with the seller and the buyer. And um, so you got to build good relationships with these brokers. Most of the deals we're buying are quote unquote off market deals. Uh, when I, 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 you have to laugh a little bit at the, the more send them to a hundred, a hundred people. Yeah. Hopefully not that many, right. <laughs> but they're sending them to plenty of other people. And a lot of times what happens with these off-market deals, and here's here's what's going on, is that the seller is, you know, they're, the, the owner is talking with, um, you know, Cushman Wakefield broker, but they're also talking to the Marcus of Millichap broker and the CBRE broker. And all three of those brokers, they're saying, hey, you know, I don't want you to shop this around. Maybe tell your top, you know, three to five, you know, buyers that you really think would be interested. Okay, well, now we got 15 or so yeah. people that have heard about this deal. So it's not maybe not the I mean, whole market, but yeah. it's, it's still plenty. So it's still not off market, truly. It's, like it's it, being well, marketed. Well, and and honestly, the 15 that they're sending it to are going to be the top 15 that they know can close. So it's the real competition, right? It's a real competition. Because out of that 100, right, like probably 85% aren't like real competition. Yeah. They couldn't close on time or, or whatever. Yeah. So it's, I mean, by sending it to those top 15, it might as well. Those were the only 15 you were afraid of anyway. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Uh, so. Oh, our favorite deals actually are the ones that have been under contract and fell out of oh, contract. Wow. And the broker comes to us. We bought several of those deals over the last yeah. couple of years that have been in and out of contract one or two times. And That's then the cold. broker comes to us and goes, Hey, we need somebody that can close. Are you guys ready to close? I'm like, yeah, we'll close. You know, here, here's what, and we typically are buying it for quite a bit less. But mm -hmm. the seller is ready and they, they emotionally are spent. And quite frankly, they probably captured some earnest money anyway. So they're okay with a little bit less money. Uh, but they're emotionally spent. They want to sell this property. And, you know, a lot of times we're the last ditch um, effort to buy. And so so that's that's our favorite property. But um, we, we also do some direct to owner, but haven't had a lot of success with that. Uh, so as far as like... How we're how we're closing them syndication. So we're raising all the funds. You know, we're we're going to our fam family friends network and um, you know raising whatever we need five ten million dollars to to close the deal and doing uh, kind of your traditional you know syndication. Are you doing five or six Cs or five or six Bs? Uh, mostly five or six Bs. And we've done awesome. a couple five or six. Uh, well, we've done I guess uh, one five or six C, and then we did a um oh what's it called a score offering um which is kind of like a 506c awesome yeah i what i found is um because in my mind you know I, we started with bees we always did bees mm -hmm. and i always kept going like oh man if i could just advertise i could i could blow this yeah. number out you know and and in turn like i don't know that I don't know that I've ever gotten, I've done two C's and, and three B's, but I don't know that I've ever gotten an investor yeah. 
that wasn't a You're referral not. or a friend. Like it's just, and I've got all of the drip campaigns, lead magnet systems and everything set up. And what I think that does is just softens the market for the referrals or makes me look mm-hmm. more professional to the, to the existing relationships. But of the 4,000 emails I've dumped into that machine, I don't know that I've ever gotten a cold one worked all the way through and turned into an investor. Yeah, I think what you're kind of hoping for when you do a 506C. So if, if somebody's out there, so I, I do hear this, by the way, there's a lot of people that think, oh, you know, yeah, I don't have this big network, but I'm going to do a 506C and I'll be able to raise some money by doing that. And they think they're going to be able to raise millions of dollars through this 506C because, you know, everybody's going to be so excited to invest in their deal. That's that's just not true. Like that's that doesn't happen exactly what you said. Nobody does, or very, very few people do. And what what happens is it's more of like a lead source, right? So they see your deal, they go, oh, interesting. They maybe see it two or three times, especially if you're continuing to do those C's over and over and over again. They keep seeing your company name. And then they finally, they go, let me research Enduris Capital. And they research Enduris Capital. And I go, mm, oh, I see another deal. And they're like, let me call Enduris Capital. Let me set up an appointment with their Enduris Capital. So then they set up an appointment. They have a conversation with me. We get to know each other a little bit. And then the next deal comes out, but they're already on my mailing list. And then they invest in the deal. So it's not that the 506C didn't work but it didn't necessarily get that investor on that deal that they saw for the very first right. time. And that's where I think the 506C just is really tough to get. So if you're like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to do this and we're going to we're going to raise uh, you know 5 million dollars uh, you know based on Facebook and LinkedIn and all that mm-hmm. kind of like that's just not going to happen. You might raise $50,000, but you're not raising 5 million or 10 million or something like that. So yeah, for sure. For sure. So what uh, what advice do you have to somebody who's just starting out? Well, I mean, start out in, in, in what? Like, I guess it really depends. It depends on what angle you're going with and depends on what they're trying to do. So if, if you're wanting to start out and you're passive, if you want to start out and you're active, I mean, those are all that kind of stuff is, is totally different. Sure. So I, I would I would venture to to you know lend the advice to the the active folks right the passive folks sure. can just give us the money and we'll we'll, we'll put it to work for them but but the the active guy who who wants and and answer the question twice answer the question for the school teacher that wants to go buy some rental properties and flip houses and then fast forward however many years right and answer the question again for the guy who wants to go from rental properties and flipping houses to buying hundred plus assets. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, that answer is probably not much different. So here's what I'll say first. Understand what you really want to do. Okay. Understand what you're trying to achieve. So what you just said earlier about if they want to invest passive, they can give the money to us and we'll be stewards of their money and, you know, and and help them create wealth that way. Well, here's the thing. I say most people want to get into real estate. They want to get into it because they want to create passive income. If you're wanting to create passive income because you've got a good job, because you own a business, all that kind of stuff, then don't go buy duplexes, single families, or apartment buildings. Invest it passively in a syndication. Invest it passively because that's going to allow you to continue to make money in your day job, not be super distracted. I talked to a guy on my podcast uh, the other day, and he was you know, making 
making mid six figures a year. And he starts buying duplexes and single family houses. And he hires a property management company. And he's like, it was the craziest thing I could have ever done because I'm spending a ton of money on these stupid houses that are barely making me any money. He's like, and I'm taking away from my sales career to go, you know, mess around with these properties. And even though he had third-party property management, he's messing around with them. He's like, and I'm making mid six figures. And that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to create passive income. So then he took and started investing passively in syndications, you know, and has millions of dollars now in syndications, sold those houses, turned them all into syndications. So that's, anyways, uh, I totally sidetracked on my advice, but that that that's my point with people. You got to look at, first of all, look at what you want to do. Look at what, where you where are you trying to go? And if you're trying to go to where, hey, I, I want this to be my career, right? I want to create a company because this is what you're doing. You're creating a company. You have to have that mindset. Like you're creating a business and whether you're buying single family homes, whether you're buying apartment buildings, whether you're buying retail shopping centers, you're creating a business. And so treat it like a business, right? Grow the systems and processes, treat it like a business and you're going to be so much more successful. I find success, like the most successful people I talk to are the ones that are willing to take action, right? They're willing to take incremental steps to move forward. I hate the, 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 oh, you got to think big, do go big. Um, the Grant Cardone, the Donald Trump, like I get it. It sounds, it's really attractive. It's sexy. Like it, it gets, it gets people to click. Right. So that's really cool. They become really popular because they say stuff like that. But why that doesn't work is that we, yes, your ideas can be big ideas, but you have to take small steps incrementally, consistent, consistent action over and over and over again is going to, going to create big results. That's, uh, that, that leads into a question I was just about to ask. So do you, do you, um, regret doing all the single family stuff do you do you wish you would have gone sooner faster that's what everybody says when i interview them like what mistakes i would have gone bigger faster i just would have bought a hundred unit apartment complex right out the gate i'm like i didn't have the i didn't have the wherewithal right out the gate to go buy yeah so so no i do i regret no no i don't uh do i wish i would have maybe started a little earlier yeah because I, I was definitely ready earlier and it, but at the same time you have to understand like there's going to be certain things that happen that shift your paradigm and so that's there's another big piece of advice always allow your paradigm to shift always be open to paradigm shifts and it's listening and it's learning and it's hiring people you know like my one of my bigger paradigm shifts was hiring a mindset coach and he's the one that when i was like hey I'm going to keep on buying these 20 unit buildings, eventually kind of get some bigger, bigger, bigger buildings. Eventually I'll get to a hundred unit building. He's like, why not now? I'm like, well, you know, I got to And he's like, no, you don't. I'm like, oh, huh. And then I went and bought 204 units within like three months of him saying that, you know, so you will have to allow your paradigm to shift and grow. Sometimes you'll get stuck. And that's, those are the dangerous times, right? Those are the times where you get stuck and you just stop growing. And I had a couple of those times where I got stuck and stopped growing. And so if I have any regrets, it was that I didn't allow myself to continue to grow, right? I, I just got stuck and complacent. You know, I was like that the teacher again that just was yeah. doing the same 
stupid stuff over and over again. And when I, if somebody brought me a good idea, I said, no, no, we're good here. Right. We're good here. And so I think that's, you know, um, but you know, buying that hundred unit apartment complex, would it have been great to start with in 2008? Absolutely. That would have been freaking awesome. Dude, that would have been amazing. But was that ready? Like, no freaking way. If somebody told me the only way to get started in real estate was to buy a hundred unit apartment complex, otherwise don't start, I just wouldn't have started. I'd probably still be a teacher to this day. Yeah. So, and that, sure. that's where the think big, like, oh, you got to go big. No, you don't. You got to get started. You got to take yeah. action. You got to get started. Yeah, for sure. I love it. So what's next for you? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, we're, we're all about uh, just continuing to grow the business. Um, so what's next? I mean, it's it's continue to grow, continue to focus on, you know, we're really focused this year in particular on our operations. Uh, we want to make sure we're as efficient as possible. We want to we try to just continue to hone in on our processes and systems and, and really be a strong business so that we're set up for continued growth in the future. Uh, you know, 2023, I think is probably going to be kind of a weird year. Um, but I, there's, there's going to be, you know, I think I feel like we're in kind of a, a winter here, maybe 2023, maybe 2024, who knows, maybe a couple of years uh, that we're in this kind of like winter season uh, where you're probably not going to be able to buy as many deals. Uh, profitability is maybe not quite as high. And then we'll start to see um, more of those shake out and some some higher profitability. So we want to be set up for that and continue to grow. And uh, it's all about affecting lives right now for for us. And we just want to continue to make impact and um, see the company do good things. Awesome. So I want to hop over to our radio round and just ask uh, three quick questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So the first one is, what's your favorite book? Man, I mean, there's so many good ones out there. I I love. Um, oh, you know what? There's a great book that I, the Psychology of Money, I read recently. That's a really cool book. Um, I, that's been on. I keep it keeps popping up, and nobody's yeah. ever recommended it to me. Uh, the the well, reason I recommend it is because like nobody recommends it. The, the book that pops in my head is how to win friends and influence people. I love that book and yeah. it's great, but everybody recommends books like that. This one's really, it's a really good psychology of money. You should, you should definitely so the, take a look at it. The other, the other reason I didn't, I hadn't pulled the trigger on it yet was I thought maybe it was too elementary or something, but, but uh, you think, I mean, I, I don't think it's too elementary. No. Awesome. I'm downloaded as soon as we hang up. So uh, what's your favorite quote? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. You mouth. get punched in the face, old Tyson. Get punched <laughs> in the face, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So I can't say the quote entirely, but I always I love the great philosopher Mike Tyson. Yeah. Uh, but it rings so true in business, man. It just rings so true. You're gonna get knocked around in business. I mean, it's just how it is. You're you you're gonna have this beautiful plan. It's gonna be so amazing, and then somebody's gonna just turn around and kick you right in the teeth. You'd be like, yeah. where did that come from? That wasn't part of that wasn't part of it. <laughs> and and you're gonna have to decide like, are you gonna put an ice pack on your teeth and keep going, or are you gonna tuck your tail and, and walk away? Like, what's yeah. it gonna be? For sure. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? 
Oh man. Uh, look, I like adventure. So really anything adventure, I love hiking. I love, uh, downhill skiing, cross country skiing. I love, well, I love hanging out with my family too. Um, but yeah, re- really adventure. Awesome. So how can our listeners get in touch with you, find out more about you, invest with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for asking. So there's a couple, a couple ways. Uh, first I would encourage them, you know, after they're obviously done listening to this podcast, uh, I've got a podcast too called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Welcome to tune into that. Um, it's on, on all the all the same channels. And then uh, my uh, main website is endurusscapital.com, E-N-D-U-R-U-S capital.com. And my email is Todd at endurusscapital.com. Awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot and uh, I'm sure our listeners will too. Uh, it was great chatting and look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.